Hello everyone and welcome back to this 81st episode of the Dice Breaker Podcast. We have two dancing heads in Alex Meehan and Chase Carter joining us. Alex Meehan, how are you doing? Welcome back to the Dice Breaker Podcast. I'm alright thanks, we... I hope I'm more than a head. <laughs> well you got some shoulders as well. What, what's with yeah. the bobbing? What's going on? <laughs> uh, it's just that song that plays with the advert is really groovy. I don't oh, know I if see. Chase could hear it or whether you mm-hmm. were just dancing along with me because you're like, oh, I'll do it as well. Peer <laughs> yeah, pressure. I, I can't hear, but I just see like a little uh, thing that says how far along the video is. So I had absolutely mm. no no enjoyable <laughs> pop music to, to dance around to. So um, what, what, did, what do you think we were doing then? We were just messing with you. I thought maybe there was like a sort of spooky, scary skeletons playing in your head or something. Because it's oh, the Halloween okay. episode, baby. It is the Halloween episode Bay Hello, Bay. we are joined by Ooh, spooks by sort of special guest chase carter he's been on a few times mm-hmm. now you all know chase yeah i'm sort of special mm-hmm. how you doing my friends uh pretty good i'm gonna have a coffee coming in from my partner in a little bit which is gonna make <laughs> this morning so much Whoa, better yeah, what time is it in? oh yeah it's very spookily like a, a spirit will just sort of guy sit over to me <laughs> yeah <laughs> what time is it where you are mm, it is just now 802 oof in the morn. Chase has been working for several hours. Goodness so gracious. Our, our, our wonderful friend Chase here wakes up uh, way too early in the morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then uh, that you can work with, with myself and Mr. Jarvis on the so website. Yeah. yeah, these these British taskmasters are uh, they are punishing. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I oh, sorry, carry on. hire someone personally to go into Chase's bedroom in the morning, <laughs> wake him up with a big air horn. <laughs> yeah, they've got ca- cowbell and like yeah. this big yeah like stadium air horns, and they're just like making uh, a ruckus. They've got like strobe lights flying in your face. <laughs> yeah, oh. yeah. I mean that would it's quite pleasant want. by this point. Yeah. Uh, I am, of course, Michael Wheels Whelan, uh, your temporary host as we wait for Matt Jarvis to return yeah, the, from... the most ghoulish member of the team. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> we are here for the Halloween episode, Halloween special of the Dicebreaker mm. podcast. Dicebreaker Halloween mm-hmm. special. Exactly. Uh, we've got our, our costumes on. I'm dressed yep. as uh, Wheels. <laughs> oh, me that's and, pretty scary. Me and who are yeah. you dressed as? I'm dressed as... I'm dressed as Mary Elizabeth Winston, which is someone I went to. A, this is a very long and confusing story, but I went to. It sounds like you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I went to a New Year's party once that a friend was hosting, and their brother was like convinced that I was Mary Elizabeth Winston, who is like an actor who you might know from. Um, Oh my gosh, why can't I remember the name? Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Oh, who is um, she in Scott? Uh, she plays the main love interests, who I can't remember the name of. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. So apparently this guy was like, You're, you look exactly like her. And I was like, I don't even know who this is. Really? Uh, <laughs> but that, I know. And then the whole night, all he would ever say to me, and then he, he didn't eat... Like, my friend told him my name, but he never, ever referred to me by my actual name. He only, at one point from across the garden, he pointed and said, Hello, Mary. What? Okay. It was very weird. How drunk was this Legal. man? <laughs> I don't know. But okay. He did, he did put fireworks. He did. He, he had mm-hmm. fireworks. This was a firework party. 
and he lit them by placing them in just the grass, like the mud. I thought you were gonna go. I thought you were gonna say butt. That's. I feel like Chase was also the same. The same expectation there. I thought he put some fireworks in his butt because that is. No, I grew no. up in the country. I know yeah. where this goes. Mm-hmm. No, he put them in the. He just stuck them in the mud. Was like that will do, and then lit them. And I kid you not, <laughs> when they went, they just sort of flew out of the ground at various points and exploded. <laughs> and we were genuinely frightened for our lives at that point. <laughs> So there you go. That's a very. I told you it was a long, complete story. Chase, what are you dressed as? Uh, I'm dressed as uh, a disheveled college student who only shops at Target. I've got like my Target in sixty four hoodie on. Nice. Yeah, that's a that's about it. So have I'm, you, I'm dressed got, as a got like a Pulp Fiction poster on your wall. <laughs> yeah, and I've got a I've got a, a copy of like some Chuck Palahniuk novels over here on the side. Uh, I've got Fight Club in the DVD player mm-hmm. ready to go after this. Ready to oh, roll. Yeah. I, like thought. no joke, I was that person in college, and I'm so glad that he's dead and gone. <laughs> He murdered him. He's been he's been thrust into a wood chipper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mercifully. The, the, the past must die. Kill it if you have to. Mm-hmm. Chase. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, welcome to the Dice Breaker Podcast. You all know how this works by now. We're going to be going through all the things that we've been doing in the past week or so, depending on how long it's been since you've been on. Uh, Chase, you've got loads to talk about. Uh, so I think we should probably start with you. Mm. You've been playing this person should not exist i have um an incredible game wheels can you help me out with the designer of that game uh, it's uh speak the I sky don't... i think their name is yes yeah, speak the sky yeah. um so this is an interesting game that i, I found out about and wheels I'm, I'm interested to know how you found out about this because i put out a call on twitter for like some solo rpgs i, I really enjoy just like solo gaming uh on my own time and i wanted to kind of jump back in so I put out the call and no joke, three or four people all said like separate from each other, you need to play this man should not exist or this person should not exist. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, cool. The sell is, is that it's an, it's an RPG that you play using a where's Wally book. And for the U S audience, that's where's Waldo, um, which it's a British creation, right? It was a British author who come, came up with Wally. Yeah. I don't know why it was renamed for U S audience. It's not like they called it like, you know, where's brick or something like that to make it a bit more, <laughs> a bit more American yeah. friendly. Well, I've, I've never heard of a man called Waldo before. I might be. It's often, it's often the case that, uh, you know, English to American, vice versa, will be changed either because there are copyright issues. Just mm-hmm. like there is an exact, again, my brain is not working today, but there is an exact US to to UK situation where. There, there was like a copyright and they've had to change the name to avoid that. Or mm. there's a, like a rude word. <laughs> it's like a rude word in Britain no or something. Um, but I imagine it's probably like a copyright thing is my guess. That would mm. be it. Otherwise, I mm. can't think how it makes it more I imagine there was, at the time of its invention, there was one man in the US whose name was Wally. Mm. And he was like, no, I have the sole <laughs> rights to this name. You he took it all the way to the courts. <laughs> yeah. Take my one gimmick away from me. <laughs> if you know people in the in the chat, tell us. Mm. But where? Yeah, yeah, I'm really. I, where's one? I would be really interested like in this story. A searchy, searchy book. Mm-hmm. Right, where you, it's got there's those hidden object books as well that were pretty. Um, like they were photography rather than 
illustrations right. but this this is like an illustration of like a really big complicated scene with thousands of tiny little people. people in and one of them is the person you're looking for yeah yeah you gotta spot wally and there's also like all these other things like wally's got this like cast of weirdos his mm-hmm. girlfriend some old wizard his dog wait what and then there's yeah do you not know about the old there. wizards no i know i know about the wizard i yeah. know about evil wally yeah odd law odd law yeah, yeah. Which is just uh, Waldo backwards. Yeah. Is he is he Yilaw in the? In no, the, I think he's Odd Law. Yeah. Which is which weird. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. That's odd. Okay. So maybe it's the other way around. I don't know. <laughs> I did Ooh, not know. Oh well. Spooky caffeine. I did not know that uh, Wally slash Waldo had a partner. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I, I believe her name is Wanda or something like that. Oh yeah. come on. That's right. Wally gets right. dying. Um, <laughs> how, how, That's yeah. why I'm bobbing my head this time. Uh, <laughs> how, so, do, how does one play this game? Yeah. So. Right. Anyway, so the game. Um, so you like you start out, you just play Where's Wally. You go and you find Wally, and you go and you find all the other stuff. But the whole mm-hmm. conceit is that you are someone who works for this like sort of occult government organization, a la Control, video game Control, or SCP famous like internet site um like fan fiction site and hmm. you were having to post like posthumously go through these photographs like, like these aerial photographs or like you know like camera up on a building photograph of a scene where something terrible happened because the man who should not exist uh wreaks havoc and destruction wherever he goes and you were going through and documenting all of this stuff so the first thing you have to do when you find the man who should not exist waldo wally you circle him and then draw or you uh, write out a, a short poem of protection around there in order to like contain his evil influence. Oh, no. And then, then you go and you find all of his compatriots who are uh, called uh, objects of power or yeah. entities of power. Entities of power. Um, yeah. Entities of power. They all have been like, there's like this uh, in the document, in the game, that it gives you sort of like short lore of who they are. Like Oddlaw is like this person who is enamored with the person who should not exist, but is plagued by them. It's this sort of like push and relationship the wizard is like some like researcher who like bends time and space to his will and breaks it the dog is called the weeper and like calamity follows him wherever he goes you only see his tail and as soon as you see that tail you're about to be like struck dead or hit by a car or lightning or something like that my favorite one is um because they have the the objects as well because basically Mm. like i think it used to be that the first couple of where's wally books were you just find wally but then, like, yeah. as they, uh, you know, yeah. got, got more into the, like, they, they added, you know, new characters Wally's... and new items, fine, all kind of stuff. So you can find, the like, WCU. a camera. Yeah, exactly. The extended <laughs> universe started to, started to get bigger. So they added, like, if, a camera. If Buzz and... Lightyear gets one, Wally can. Yeah, exactly. They get a cane, all that kind of stuff. One of them is just, like, a little um, scroll, which I'm assuming is supposed to be the wizard's thing. But it's called the Library of Sin. Uh, and it's, <laughs> it's a document that contains all... All acts of evil that have happened and will happen. <laughs> like they're just really fun little little like snippets of yeah. this weird world. The cool thing is that like everything has like just enough of that like sort of like weird evil spooky sort of like vibe to it that like gets your mind going because basically what you do is when you find three of them, you draw a connective triangle between them. And then someone, one of the people that are in this image that is inside that triangle of influence, you then document as a person of interest. And each of the pages correspond to a case file 
that gives you some sort of prompt. Like I believe the first one is like, this is where the founders of the organization came from. They were there when the, the person who should not exist first came into being and whatever calamity struck them spurred them to begin the organization. So you find that person, you get to decide, you circle their face and then you take like post-it notes or little scraps of paper and you're like documenting this as a la sort of like a cork board with like, mm. you know, uh, and you like post, like you come up with their name and then you write a little sentence about like what happened to them. So like, if you find a person in the, in the triangle, you circle and it's like, okay, this is like Thoreau Harbison. Um, and depending on what items you circled that like helps you to like find out what happened to them. So say like the, the, uh, the weeper was there. So you could say like Thoreau Harbison, like saw the weeper was struck blind, but was like, his head was filled with like visions of the future. And now he's using those to help guide the organization towards stopping the man who should not exist and then later ones are about like there was a ritual that was going on and these people were inadvertently uh, involved this one was a mass casualty event how did these three people survive miraculously or how mm. were the organization keeping them alive so it's all just like prompt based stuff and all you're doing is you're playing where's wally and then using the results to help help give you this fiction that you then create using the post-it notes and the sort of drawn connections it's super weird it's super great like it's just like a fun activity you can do a page at a time like mm. it takes 20 minutes depending on how good you are at wally <laughs> um, but like you know 20 minutes of just like finding stuff drawing connections and then writing a little short fiction some short spooky fiction it's well, I, I, it's a it's a great i think one of the reasons it works so well as well is like um unlike it's like compatriots in this sort of like you know, journal writing kind of game style. Uh, mm -hmm. The prompts are very much not random. So apart from the like the things yeah. that they're being circled with, you have like a, a predetermined 12 events. Like they're always the same, always gives you like a, a hook. You're only really meant to play it once, I think, but it, it means mm -hmm. that it has a much better like actual story arc to, to the thing that you're writing out rather than just be like, I draw a card, I see what it says, and then I try and make something up that works. It's like, it's very much, it's a lot more guided and I think people who haven't played these kind of games before would probably really appreciate that. Like it's it's a nice Definitely. introduction to that that style of game. Um, the most morbid yeah. bit is after you finished all of that on a page, um, mm -hmm. it says that the like the man who should not exist spreads its corruption because a very common thing in Where's Wally books is like they have loads of people who are wearing red and white stripes to, as red herrings. So in in the law, this is like the man's corruption spreading through the world. So you have to scribble out their faces and do like kill markings on them, so that a team yeah. can go out and like wipe out the people who've been corrupted. Yeah, it's yeah. Like you draw like a little dotted dark. box around them and mark for kill, and it's like if anyone's caught in there, yeah. this, they, it specifically says that's just part of the job. <laughs> yeah, it's like collateral damage will happen. It can't be helped. Do your job. <laughs> do your job. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree, Wheels. I think it's just structured enough and like the fact that it uses an existing book. Like if you're mm. someone who is daunted by the sort of like solo journaling thing where you just take an open notebook and you're like, these blank pages fill me with dread. Yeah. Um, using a Where's Wally book that you could pick up at a store for like four bucks, you know, like fairly cheap. They're they're all over the place. And then like a a, a pen, a Sharpie and some post-it notes. And when you're done, you'll have this document that you can go back through and look at all the notes you did and all the scribbles and show people. It's very interesting. And I, one, I think it does take a lot of that load off of the player. And two, I love any game that gives you like this, this changed document afterwards that you're done, uh, that you can go back to and reference afterwards. I, mm. I like doing that. Yeah. Artifacts, mm. I think they call them. Like, or this, you make this nice thing. You go yeah. to a, <laughs> You go to a charity shop. And then leave it there, yeah, for someone to 
horrifically yes. fine. Well, that's kind of the same vibe with the machine, isn't it? When you finish your journal for the machine, you, like, bury it somewhere mm-hmm. and, like, hope yeah. that someone finds it or something. Or, yeah. you, you know, you post it to the next person who's playing and they I have just to work out what's going on. the idea of someone going to charity shop, like a, a parent or something, mm. and be like, oh, my, I used to I love, love Wally books, yeah, but, like, my but my child would love this, <laughs> and then they give it to them and it's, like, filled with disturbing notes. <laughs> Part of me wants to, like, when I finish mine, like, throw it in a trash bag and, like, duct tape it together and then go geocache it somewhere and have someone, like, <laughs> find it and have to unearth this and pull this thing out. And they're like, what the fuck? Yeah. What, what is this? What happened here? Yeah. I, 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 I vandalized love this it genu- genuinely makes this, like, horrible alternate timeline device. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. And I th- so the, the reason I've been playing it as well is um, it's featured in a list that's going up on the channel this weekend. Uh, because mm-hmm. me and me and Liv are both doing spooky lists for Halloween. Liv is doing the most terrifying, horrible monsters you could play against in D anD D, and I am doing five spooky TTRPGs that you can play for Halloween. Um, mm. And I always try and do because I think you, you asked how I found it, Chase. And um, mm-hmm. what I always try and do when I'm writing lists is I will I will just scroll through the relevant tag on itch.io on on the physical games and just see if I've like missed something new that's come out that's interesting. And when I saw this, I yeah. was just like. I think I had heard of it before, but had never really in, in, um, investigated. And I saw the Where's Wally picture. And I was like, oh my God, yes, yes, yes. This is definitely going in. Um, because we very much try and like, especially on the YouTube channel, like we try and get things that we haven't spoken about before. I think I think you do the same as well on your list, man. But like, it's, it's, it's nice to like be, okay, look, you all know about these ones. Like, let's try and like mm. actually give you something that you don't know about. And then we get yeah. 400 YouTube comments of people going, why didn't you include Call of Cthulhu? And it's like, yeah, yeah well, I mean, all right. <laughs> the lists on the website are more geared, I'd say, towards a, more of a mainstream audience mm. um, because of that mm, sweet, sweet SEO. Um, <laughs> oh, it's delicious. We're down in the mines yeah. trying Fine to pull vintage. it out. <laughs> Which doesn't quite work in the same way on video yeah um but also the list are much longer so we can afford to kind of put in a good mixture of things so mm-hmm. if you want like a more general list there is one on the website of the best horror tabletop role-playing games that's a good mixture of like ones you most likely heard of yeah as well as some ones that you might not have heard of mm. um and then whereas uh, mr Whelan's list here is very much uh ones that wheels particularly likes and uh, if you know maybe start with some of the ones on the website list and if you like some of those then you can delve into some of the ones that will suggests or whatever the way you want to do it yes that was time as well for the listeners yeah i've been trying to stave him off but he is the weeper himself he will not be denied his place on the podcast Um, what calamitous future his wheels going to be subjected to now yeah, I, a I, always, or something. I always get like, obviously they're they're a bit stupid, but I always like get really confused by the like, why haven't you included this thing? Comments because it's like, did you turn up to watch this list to just hear about games you already yeah, know about? No, like, I don't. I don't understand yeah, the logic. Do <laughs> people love that. Like, I will say that one of the big draws of that we find one of the big draws on the website for the articles we write, particularly lists. Or opinion pieces are like people want to go on there to either have their opinion affirmed mm-hmm. or like see a list and be like yes uh this is definitely one of the best horror rpgs 
I have been validated. Vindication. (laughs) Yeah, and it's kind of, I I mean, I had that with my sci-fi RPG list. I did have a lot of people go on there and say, where's this one? Where's this one? And look, everyone. (laughs) Number one, I'm one human being. Number two, (laughs) this is a single list. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of sci-fi role-playing games out there, many of which I've not heard of, played, or found. Uh, And you know what? We update these lists in the future. So maybe one that you really like might find its way onto there. Uh, mm-hmm. But hey, why don't you look on these lists to find ones you might not have heard of mm. or played? Because then you could find something new and give that a go. And number, what was it, three that we got to? You might just have bad taste. <laughs> like, maybe you're reading or... this list and thinking that you don't like these games. Maybe you just got, maybe you just got crap taste. Maybe I that's mean... it. <laughs> I to, to Come at me, preface. YouTube comments. I'll fight you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to preface that I, my taste is not perfect and completely Lian is the sole arbiter of what makes a good RPG. You cannot... The first and last yeah. word. You cannot ignore her opinion. You cannot... You cannot establish that because then every single RPG that is not based on a license I like has relatively straightforward rule set or allows me to have a romantic interaction with a fictional character <laughs> is not is not valid. <laughs> No, anyway, it's right. You've all the, got the sort of like, taste and look, there's a million RPGs out there, so come find one that you haven't played before. That's the important mm. thing. Yeah, listen, watcher, listener, if you're the sort of person who likes to read things to affirm your uh, opinion, love yourself a little bit more. You know, I, you you deserve to 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 explore outside of there and actually play some stuff that you haven't played. And you have don't some need different no validation. No, you're, you're, not. you're more than likely better than us. <laughs> uh, you pivot, my friend, from two very separate ends. Listen, of it's all spectrum. in good fun. Um, oh, Chase, man. what else have uh-huh. you been playing this week? All right, we we spent so long on that. Yeah, um, I let's, know. Let, let me get to some other stuff. So um, I wrote about this yesterday, but this is not me playing. And I think Wheels, you also did some of this. I've just been reading some some yeah. RPGs. Specifically, I've been reading the RPG adventures from Games Omnivorous. Um, two of them, uh, one is Eat the Rich, and another is Mouth Brood, um, that uh, uh, follow game. And so Games Omnivorous is a Portuguese publisher of, like, they call it, like, you know, like weird RPGs and weird adventures. And they have this one sort of collection called the Manifestus Omnivorous, which have 10 rules. And I, in the piece, which you can go read on dicebreaker.com, I break down these like 10 rules. It is this sort of stuff like every event or every book is an adventure. It can't be longer than 6,666 words. Um, it, it has to be system ag- agnostic. Yeah. Ooh, spooky numbers. Um, but the, <laughs> like the two, the two, the two or three like really interesting rules are like, it has to be like a single location or like a single room. And then room is sort of like, can be, de- can be defined however, and it can only have one monster. And then it also has to have uh, saprophagy or osteophagy, which is like the the eating of decaying material or the eating of bones. Um, So using those rules, the two adventures that I write about, uh, Mouthbrood and uh, Eat the Rich, go in totally different directions. And I think it's incredible. And I think it's a wonderful, and I discuss this in the piece, I think it's a wonderful sort of example of how whenever you give sort of artistic uh, constraints to a, mm. a form, to an art form, it comes up with some, just some delicious, delicious yeah. pieces of uh, pieces of poetry. Uh, Cause I guess 
generally speaking, when I think about like adventures or like adventure supplements, I'm thinking about like, you know, fifth edition sort of like uh, uh, adventures. It's just another sort of capital F fantasy adventure in a different environment, but it's largely like the same stuff. It's just different names, different proper nouns and like no shade on any of that. But I really like it whenever something sort of breaks that mold in really interesting and uh, surprising ways. And the Manifestus Omnivorous collection, which you can find if you just search for games omnivorous and like it's on their main page, uh, really do that in some interesting ways. Like Ether Rich is a uh, is sort of in a post-apocalyptic future where like there's like this like flesh hunger disease that is stricken humanity. It's not zombies. It is distinctly different from zombies because like a lot most people like keep their humanity but they're just like driven by this desperate need for flesh which is more tragic than zombies because like by taking away the humanities from zombies it's it's almost a, a blessing have you seen um the tiktok where it's like when the thing you're watching refuses to call zombies zombies and it's like yep oh no walkers watch out it's the shamble rambles <laughs> it's mm-hmm. the spooky hokums <laughs> The the hoops that media has to go through, especially thirty years into zombies, I mm-hmm. guys that we're in, is incredible. I love it. Um, so yeah, so this one, it's just they're just called the famished, which is you know pretty good. It's not spooky hokums, but it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty nice. Uh, but the so the in the adventure, the players um, are ascending the god spire to try to find a god who might cure this 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 flesh plague. Unfortunately, when they get in there, it's a nightmare of a different sort. Things are not going well for the gods and the godspire either. It's actually, it's kind of uh, shambles all the way down. Um, and like, so Ether Rich is really wonderful. It's sort of like a, you know, a dungeon crawl. You're just starting at the bottom of the spire. You have to ascend to the top. You're going to go through rooms. Each room has a random encounter that might be a monster, might be some treasure, might be just an interesting thing. And it's sort of linear. But... The whole thing, as you read through it, is this like really nicely put together sort of, you know, if the title didn't give it away, it, eat the rich. It is a metaphor for like the sort of rot at the core of capitalism sort of thing. But it doesn't beat you over the head with it, which I really like. It definitely dr- really tries to be an enjoyable adventure, something that you can bring to the table. And even if you didn't want to sort of embrace the politics at all, you're going to have a great time sort of like mucking about, killing some tech priests and uh, putting some glass... Uh, balls in your eye to see if they give you weird powers. <laughs> um, I mean, I do that now, every day. Yeah, so. that's just bog standard Saturday for me. <laughs> yeah. Can't get enough oh, of those glass of... balls. <laughs> yeah, how many, what's your cool powers, Mian? What are, what are the glass balls giving you? <laughs> They're really bad powers. They're like, um, uh, can, can drink yeah. a Red Bull and not stay up too late. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. They're like, be really loud mm-hmm. and <laughs> I'm just uh, laughing now. <laughs> Carry on. This is this is one of the powers. This is why the eyeballs are so crap. Just giggling, yeah. 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 Just giggling uncontrollably. Yeah, they're really disappointing. Uh eyeballs. Also, while you were talking about that, I was imagining you know the bit in Scooby Doo where they're like they unmask the, yes, the right. monster and it's someone yeah. I like, thought you were going to say like a really specific plot point you know in Scooby Doo no. like episode 47 of season 3 where <laughs> <laughs> no one would be able to do that because there are possibly millions of episodes of Scooby Doo now <laughs> and they're all the same um, yeah uh, but when they unmask the monster and it's just a person hmm. 
Uh, I was imagining that, but like they unmask it and it's just capitalism again. It's like, oh, it's just capitalism again. Like so it's many monopoly man. Me. Yeah. Everyone, yeah, like handles a rich uncle penny bags. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it sounds cool. What's the what's the other one like? The oh yeah, so mouth brood quickly. Yeah, so mouth brood is sort of a cross between arrival and a roadside picnic. Uh, the Strugatsky brothers novel. That the got origin of the stalker. stalker, yeah, franchise. Yeah, oh, stalker. rival. Is that the one with Amy Adams in it? Yeah, the Denis Villeneuve uh, oh, movie. That film slaps. <laughs> that is a great film. That is fantastic. Oh uh, yeah, what wonderful film. Um, yes. Uh, so it is sort of a cross between that. There's like a biodome in, in a glacier that's been unveiled, uh, and you are a group of researchers that go into it, and there is life inside there that has like been contained for untold numbers of centuries and just been sort of eating on each other it's a very self-contained it is described as like a perfectly like a perfectly efficient cannibalistic ecosystem everything eats each other and it's just sort of like an, a, a sort of constant cycle of like eating death rebirths eating again which is the cannibalist part of it um so like in a like the sort of arrival stuff is like the group of researchers go in there and they're trying to understand what's going on and there are three la layers there's like the undergrowth the canopy and then the emergent layer and the cool thing about this is that most of the book is like this bestiary of beasts all of them that kind of look like something else it's like plants and animals that kind of look like stuff from earth but like with the weird stuff like there's um like there's an algae that can like crawl up your leg and then begin to like poison you from the inside without you knowing um there is uh, the one apex predator is like this tiger whose belly opens up with a whole bunch of teeth and it can just fall on you and eat you if it wants to. I mean, it's got like claws the, and like paws. Like gaping and... dragon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the gaping like, dragon. It's just sort of like and just eat you. I'm convinced that literally all the inspiration for these creatures come from just things they found in the sea. <laughs> like, you know when you get those news, like news bulletins yeah. where it's like, like new oh, fish sign yeah, new, even more grotesque thing found in the scene. New scene. fish like, just drop boys. <laughs> it's, yeah, they're just horrible, horrible things living in there. I agree. Yeah, yeah. There's like, it, it doesn't matter how many science fiction or fantasy books you write, you will never create more horrifying monsters than the ones that already exist in the depths of our own oceans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The deeper you, you get down, the more just. Awful. Horrible. <laughs> Awful. Yeah. yeah, it gets. Yeah, it's it's like this this blind blob has seven jaws and three buttholes. <laughs> yeah. And every single one can know your secrets. <laughs> that is very much the sort of bestiary of mouth brood. And um so yeah, you just sort of go in there, you're trying to like you have a field diary that you're trying to like come across and like understand these creatures as much as possible, get like these things, get out. Yeah, sort of like a Pokedex, and then get out alive. Yeah. But if Pokemon was just like also escape mm. because something is chasing you, if you wake it up, it will hunt you down and eat you until there's nothing left. I mean, um, you're like, oh, something is chasing you, like on top of all of the horrible creatures that you come across uh, yeah, and interact with. There's apparently something worse going on. Don't get it twisted. Everything else is just like, oh, if it exists here, it exists to be eaten. That's just how life is. The one thing you should be watching out for is maybe sadistic in a different way. And you, okay. that's that's the sort of like the sort of like cunning, the animal cunning sort of like human uh, evil part of it that should like worry you more than the the lichen that's going to crawl inside your nose and take over your body, you know? <laughs> mm, but that's that's mouth brood. 
yeah, yeah. Please watch out for that. Bring your antifungal spray. Um, <laughs> so Mate, yeah, so I don't. <laughs> Um, so that's the game's omnivorous adventures. It's a fun read. I haven't brought either one of them to the table, but I will say it has turned me into a person who like wants to find these really evocative sort of inspiring adventures first, and then either play them straight because you can, they're hex crawls. You can just bring them straight to the table or like finding a really interesting system in that will like sort of heighten them up. Like in the piece I talk about, you could play eat the rich with more for easily. Like that's just a, that's that's peanut butter and yeah. chocolate right there. Um, I think for those who are like trying to like really break out of the mold and find something new to play, look for these adventures, find something that really speaks to you, and then try to find a system that might match up to it as a way of like easily bringing both new experiences yeah. to the table without having to do a lot of the front loaded like uh, mental work of like, does everyone like this system? Now mm. I've got to learn. It's like if you pair them together, it's it's a contained adventure. It'll take like one to four sessions to go through it. So you're not going to spend months in a, in a system that you might end up hating. It's, I think, oh. a great way to sort of like bust into something to, you know, get the tabletop funk out of your uh, out of your game night. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Right. OK, we we've yeah. already been, I'm going to move on. Yeah, that's we've it, been streaming for about 40 minutes. So that's... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, shall I go first? I've not got much. So go ahead, man. Go ahead um yeah unlike these two rpg nerds <laughs> i've played some board games what are those um yeah i played some more yahtzee <laughs> sorry hold on is the big yahtzee chad coming to bully us rpg nerds yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I almost spit take my coffee. Yeah. I was not ready for Yahtzee. God. I, yeah, I gave you a big wedgie and then I said, We played Yahtzee. <laughs> Nothing um, hungry from a... the locker. I'm off to play Yahtzee. Nothing makes yeah. you more of a Sigma male than playing Yahtzee. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah, no, we, we played on Board Game Arena. It just seems to be a game that my group at the moment, everyone is tired these days, it mm. seems. So we just want to play something that means that your brain doesn't really have to do much. And boy, oh boy, is Yahtzee that game? Because it, yeah. it, it literally just entirely luck-based, almost entirely. Um, and the first game we played the other week, I smashed it. I've never known a Yahtzee game with such luck. It was it was astonishing. Since then, I've been doing so bad. It's like all my luck went into that one game and now I'm just being, you know, cursed forever in in the artsy dungeons but uh other than the artsy chase and i as well as mr jarvis and Liv, played some lost ruins of arnak mm. which i've spoken about before on the podcast um is the deck building one uh, sort of yeah it's like <laughs> it's got a bit of deck building it's got some worker placement it's like a sort of mix and match it's you would class it as a euro you know game but I feel like it exceeds that label <laughs> because I, I don't know. I look a lot. I look at a lot of games that are in that kind of label. For those who might not know what Eurogame is, it's like a. Uh, it's a very generalized term for the kind of game where it's like efficiency is the key. It's mm. all about efficiency, and it's about like streamlining your your kind of process. This is a game that you're going to be playing over and over. And you just learn exactly what to do, you know, at every turn. So then you can maximize. Mm. Um, 
these games I don't tend to enjoy that much. <laughs> because um, I like to just play games to enjoy myself and not to win mm. necessarily. Winning is nice. Um, but Lost Ruins Arnak, I think, manages to, to provide me with a really satisfying experience um, because it is one of those games that is designed to be played multiple times. But it's not necessarily, for me at least, it doesn't feel like it's you can win this like exactly by doing this because there are some randomized elements in it, thank God. Mm. Uh, but there's just so much to un- like, sort of uncover. It's almost like you are sort of, yeah, searching through a dig site, trying to uncover all these secrets and discover, you know, um, the key to unlocking this. Uh, but the key might not necessarily be exactly one thing. So there's deck building, there's worker placement, there's like um, resource, resource management. Gathering, yeah. yeah, it's it's and um, this was like the third or fourth time I played this game, and I taught it to everyone else. You did wonderful, um, taught it very well. Thank you. At, at first, I was talking to them, and I could see their eyes like glazing over. <laughs> Because I could tell, like, it was just a lot for them it to, is a to lot. take in. It is a lot. There is a lot going on in that game. And mm. I was like, I'm very sorry. This is just something you have to deal with right now. <laughs> this is the reality of this game. But I promise you, it gets good. It uh, did. It got good. It did, yeah. <laughs> I got a little message from you, Chase, on Monday being like, I can't stop thinking about Lost Rooms. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you said, like, I'm... Sign. I like I'm thinking about how I can play it better, but mm. I think you're right, me and like the the randomized elements and the way that people can like play off of like when you go to a dig site, you uncover there's like a guardian who's guarding the dig site and you have to have the resources to beat it to yeah. get whatever sort of thing that's there. But you might not. And then someone and Alex did this like three times, I think, swooped into my dig site on the next turn and mm. killed the guardian and took my stuff. <laughs> so there's this like nice sort of like you have to like you have to be ready and if you're not like there can be this sort of like emergent sort of like contempt between players this sort of race between players or you could be a player who's not going after guardians at all and you're just ignoring you're just gonna let these two duke it out yeah. in the dirt i'm gonna be researching bones over here on my own like it's <laughs> yeah it's it's, it's bone day baby <laughs> yeah i'm just i'm just here with my bones um and my arrowheads so it's it's really i want a cool t-shirt Oh, I can't see it's bone day baby that just says I'm just here with my bones. I would, I would wear that. Um, I, and it's just me and some friendly skeletons. Yeah, it's just you and some friendly skeletons. Uh, no, uh, Chase very much pursued the research track, but the interesting thing about that is, even though you were almost entirely dedicated to going up that research yeah. track, you didn't PhD get track, like baby. that near the top. To be honest, it nope. is very much like if you want to 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 really get the rewards from this and the rewards are great you have to like dedicate yourself to just doing this but it's so tempting to do everything else and you're seeing other people do all the other things and you're like but i i want to do that as well so um yeah i won <laughs> but uh <laughs> That's why Mian was making such a big no. deal. Oh, you know, winning's <laughs> nice. You know, I'm I'm not a big winner. I won, by the way. <laughs> I, I genuinely think my strategy wasn't especially great, apart from like what Chase was saying, where 
people were kind of getting to the dig sites, uncovering them, finding the guardians, being like, oh, I don't have the things I need. And then I was like, oh, no, how terrible. And the next round, I would pop myself in there. And like, <laughs> don't worry, I got it. Yeah, I like got a parasite. it. <laughs> yeah, almost. But that game it just slaps so hard. And like, mm. uh, I've got the expansion. I'm desperate to play. It looks so cool. Uh, and I'm hoping for more content from them, but also just more like games from the designers because it still baffles me that that was their debut design mm, title. Yeah. The, yeah. A game this good, like that that has that Euro game sensibility, but but it's not just another one of those games. It's so much it, more than that. Isn't it from like a spouse pair that's de- that yeah. designs together? Yeah. Yes, Elwin cool. and Min. Yeah. Um, uh, I spoke to Elwyn at, at the Essen. They were very cute. They were like, oh, thank you. I said, I really like your games. Um, yeah, I played that and Yahtzee. And other than that, I've not really been playing. Oh, we played 10 Candles yesterday. We did. Which we played it yesterday. You, you should go watch that. It's a good yeah. video. Yeah. Just go and watch the stream, to be honest. That's yeah. all I really have to mm-hmm. say. Like, we've talked about 10 Candles I, quite a bit. I've recommended 10 Candles on the YouTube channel alone about 40 times, yep. I think. It is one of the best horror games ever made, and we couldn't we couldn't give it its full um, impact on the live yeah. stream because we couldn't two have hours. candles in the in the studio. We only had two hours, all that kind of stuff. But even yep. still, we had a great time. So yeah, it was it yeah. was excellent. Like again, it's one of those horror RPGs. I feel like horror is just such a good genre for these kind of RPGs. Where I think it's like... I think it's because it's like it's it's rooted in that like campfire tales kind yeah, of tradition, exactly. isn't it? It's yeah. like humans are so good at telling scary stories of each other you know? yeah like, um yeah. it just fits like in that kind of collection of yeah horror rpgs that are designed around collaborative storytelling mm-hmm. um yeah that was great other than that i finished squid game finally. cool <laughs> nice um so that was good and yeah i don't think can I'm you really can you give me once what like one or two sentences how you felt about the ending I just, I just need to know. Okay. Um, Anime haircut. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That, that hair, firstly, that hair. Mm. Uh, A choice. Second, secondly, my heart. Money doesn't give you taste. No. <laughs> no. Uh, I kind of implore, applauded that, though. Uh, secondly, secondly, yeah, my heart <laughs> was mm. broken by the end of that series. At first, I was like, yeah, I'm going to watch this because everyone else is saying do it and i'm like okay i'm going to be that cheap um and then uh, you know what it actually is really good i yeah uh, there, it's there really are sometimes good. there are sometimes where you see loads of people recommending things and you're like surely it's not yeah. that good. And you watch it and you're like yeah. really is this i found like, that with damn. the witcher controversy enough i wasn't hugely into that series to be honest like i, I, I found that episodes. with midnight mass recently everyone was talking about how good it is. I was like this is crap but with Squid Game, I was like, yeah. fair enough. Mm. Yeah, I no. can see why everyone's going wild about this because it is fantastic. I will say, certain people weren't that great <laughs> with acting. There, and I'm you, not sure whether that was deliberate or whether that you should, was... You should Google that. There has been some reporting on why okay. that is the way it is. Yeah, so there is a reason. Deliberate, right, okay. Uh, is it... Okay, are we talking the about the ones who don't we speak don't, Korean? I, yep yeah yeah okay good that very much felt like this is a person who is reading a script that was not originally written in english 
<laughs> for you know like it yeah it was yeah i can understand oh, i that. wonder if they were dubbed okay i don't know what the reason is but um, yeah, definitely go read about that. There's some okay. there's some yeah. very good reporting on why that ended up the way it did. Yeah. But like all the all the Korean actors and so all the people playing the the contestants were mm-hmm. incredible. Like they're yeah. all really, really good. Mm-hmm. Once again, like I I you know, I hope that this indicates to Netflix and whatever other companies that are paying attention that people are perfectly fine with watching things with subtitles. Like, yeah. this is not as big a hurdle as studios seem to think it is, mm. um, because this has absolutely just exploded. The problem is, um, I think they haven't taken that lesson. The lesson they've taken is, oh, people really like Korean stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like, no. Um, <laughs> the exact yeah. Yeah. That's good, but it's mainly the fact that there are things outside of America and England that are worth watching. Yeah, I mean, like South. I would, I would argue that South Korean television and films have been quite popular before squid game i think there's been i think it was like kingdom and it, stuff isn't it yeah. yeah and and you know it was parasite and i feel train like to there's been a, mm-hmm. yeah change to Busan. i feel like there's been a kind of i don't know if renaissance is not the right word but there's been like a sort of surge in interest of yeah you know south korea especially with like the k-pop um thrust as well yeah yeah, yeah. um so but yeah i'm hoping this isn't just Obviously, we want to see more South Korean television film because I think it's great. But I hope they don't just take that from it. They yeah. actually take from it right. like, hey, international stuff can actually, yeah, people I would... will actually really dig it. Like, you get Yeah, it I would chance. love for this to be part of a larger thrust of like a whole lot of international media, South Korea yeah. and, you know, mm. African and South, Indian South and America, whatever. Or like, that's very Absolutely. general. That's a whole continent, but like, we don't it, see yeah, much it... media. Mm. Instead, feels yeah. like we've turned South Korea into America's little media brother. Right? Yeah. It's just like American hegemony and then a little bit of South Korean as a side plate. Hmm. Just to mix things uh, up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. so that's what I've been doing. I, I, I've been playing spooky video games. but Well, we'll um, talk about that very soon. Um, yeah. As yeah. Our, as our my, uh, my friend. My were, friend. Were you about to call me Matt? <laughs> no. No, I wasn't. I promise. Oh, okay. I'm saying my friend. Uh, Tell us what you've been doing. Yes, as as Chase said, I've been I've been reading some stuff. I've been reading Heart recently, The City Beneath, which is another game mm. um, that we talk about this weekend. is fantastic. It's one of those games where it's like I don't even know, need to play this to know how brilliant this is. <laughs> like this is <laughs> my favorite thing about Heart is, and I said this in the video, like uh, the classes are literally the, the it's the thing that you mainly come in for. Like there's some cool stuff in the book. There's some cool mechanics they use. But the character classes are just so fantastic and evocative. And, like, it. the main difficulty of playing this game is picking just one. Like, it's like, oh, God, I want to be this, but I also want to be this, but I also want to be this. Um, some of my favorites include the Deep Apiarist, which is a witch that is entirely made out of bees. Uh, there is the Cleaver that eats corpses and, and like, manages to uh, shapeshift their body based on the things they've been eating. Uh, there's the dead walker who is like a person who died at some point but never went anywhere so they kind of exist between the planes of life and death and they are followed around by a physical manifestation of the way that they died 
that only they can see. Like, there are just so many, like, you read it and you're like, you don't need to, like, spend much time making a character because it's all just so cool anyway. Mm, Um, And the best thing they do is they have this thing where, because it's, you know, kind of like a Powered by the Apocalypse game, right? You you gain moves over time or Fortune of the Dark or whatever. Um, But the moves kind of, like, are in different tiers uh and your kind of character arc finishes when you get one of your final moves uh and they are like world endingly powerful like it's like mo- i think about 90 percent of the ones end with your own character dying like it's they are they're just so like catastrophically world changing that they become the final act of your character when you you pull off the mm-hmm. final move or whatever and like you can flood entire districts of the city and make them part of some kind of sea cult there's there's just like Mm. things that forever scar the world based on what your character did i feel Um, like i i just want to say i feel like rpgs would benefit so much more from thinking really creatively about classes like there are just so many RPGs that you see, and it's just like they they've got the fighter one, and they've yeah. got they're still very much following in the same sort of paths as the as like D and and such, and like that's fine. It's what people expect, but like I think it's so cool when an RPG is like, yeah, we're just gonna make this class, which is not maybe a little bit like a ranger, mm. but completely something completely off the wall and i think i think the most interesting thing about it is that i think loads of rpg writers especially when they make like classic like party um classes it's Mm. like oh here you know here's the healer here's the whatever i think they're Mm. really scared about being too specific because i think they want because they know that people like making characters and it's like yeah like 20 people can play whatever a cleric but they'll all be different um And I think people are really scared to take that away from from players. But actually, some of my favorite things in RPGs recently have been just like, this class is so specific that, you know, like, I would would rather have like 20 really, really specific ones and I'm going to have a whale of a time like playing out this really weird character rather than like five. Yeah, five ones that I've basically played before that have some slightly cool things in them, you know? Yeah, and like... Your character's class is not their entire identity. Exactly, yeah. This is another thing I think people find it very hard to kind of separate themselves from. Like, your your character can be a person, and then their class is just a part of who they are. Like, just one part. It's not their entire shtick. And yeah. I suppose it is that approach to character building where it's like, oh, I'm going to maximize this path, and I want these spells and whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's great. But I guess that's not really what we enjoy about role playing. Mm. We like making a, a character with motivation, personalities, etc., rather than mm. just like this is just a a, a platform for numbers. <laughs> mm. I think uh, so. We had a comment here from in the live chat. We record this live every Friday at two PM BST. Mm. Uh, we had a, a comment from Checkerbeards who said you can end up with the opposite problem of wanting to play a fairly usual class, and there's only off the wall stuff available. But I think. I think that's like, again, another problem is that we're so obsessed now with making stuff that appeals to everyone rather than being like, no, I'm going to make something that's really hyper-focused on the thing that I, like the story I want to tell. Yeah. And like, you like it's not going to be for everyone because like not everyone's going to enjoy this style of game. As long as it's accessible to everyone, obviously. Like, but it, it's, it should be, and not 
not with every game, but like I think there should be a large portion of games that are just like if you're into this really interesting, weird little like subsection of of lore or or whatever, like this is the game for you. Like even things like Blades in the Dark, which has had like really mainstream success, that whole the whole premise of that game is everyone's a rogue. Like they're they're, they're all just sort of yeah. subclasses of rogue, yeah. right? Uh, and they all have like their own cool little thing that they can do. Um, but I do think they're that... all doing they're all doing so they're all doing one very specific thing. Yeah, which is pulling off heists. Like there's exactly. not yeah, yeah yeah there's not mm-hmm. like a mission where you go and fight a load of things or like you you find some treasure or whatever like this is very specifically what you're doing and i think it is possible for those games to be embraced by a larger group of people i think the perspective of tabletop role playing as to what it is and what it can what experience it can be just needs to change Mm. like i i feel like it's getting there it's getting better but i still feel like you know and it's not the i don't think it's people's fault (laughs) I think it's the way that it, it's the in, the industry and, and you know certain spokespeople mm. have put it across is mm. that like if you enjoy min max and characters and whatever that is there for you there is lots of opportunity for that there's an, there's an abundance, so, abundance. <laughs> but there are also opportunities for people who may aren't just into that for mm. them to have these experiences that are specifically designed they're specifically designed to give this experience like it's not and then you can play a different game that gives you a different experience like you don't have to have this is the rpg i play and i only play this rpg ever um yeah there you go that's a we just had a big philosophical discussion oh, we always about do when rpgs games. come up i think rpgs <laughs> are such an interesting topic to talk about really mm. um but yeah, I've also been playing this person to not exist, as we talked about earlier, and Ten Candles, which we mentioned earlier. Uh, I was playing a video game called Wildermyth for a bit, which is very, very cool. Um, fantastic! Stuff. I want to try it. I'm excited. Yeah, it's like a, if you are a fan of RPGs and the way the way in which RPGs feel like to play on the tabletop, I think Wildermyth is a really interesting like video game adaptation of that. Um, but it takes the form of like an XCOM style, like you know, grid based turn based combat. Um, but in between all of those bits of fighting you have these like characters that just evolve over time and like like these these really interesting little narrative beats where they basically make these little graphic novels out of your character art um and your characters will just have interesting things happen to them and every now and again you'll like you'll pick a path for them and whatever so like i i played like the beginner starter campaign you do like three acts and then it's done and you know you can do as many as you want they've all got like different monsters that you come up against and stuff um, and one of my characters like started turning into some kind of weird crow person. Uh, one of my characters went into a dungeon and found like one of those classic like it's a oh it's a statue with gems in it. Shall I steal the gems? And when I clicked on the yeah screw it steal the gems, I was expecting it to be like oh there was a trap and you got hurt. But like one of their eyes turned into a boulder and they started growing into a rock person and stuff. And it's like there's so many cool. things where it's like. No, these this isn't just going to be you have dropped a stat and now you are less interesting. Like your characters are going to physically change forever. Uh and it's like a really really cool thing where you know you do these little mini campaigns, you tell a story and then it's done and then those characters become like legacy characters that can like show up in other things and you have like this this big like the whole theme is you know you've got like this folklore book that is filling with every adventure you take. It's like writing out your tales and stuff. And it's 
it's really cool. I think if you're into RPGs and you're into strategy gameplay, like give it a go because it it's that nice sort of like bridging the gap between tabletop and, and video games. Um, mm. But that is what we've been up to this week. Me and oh. I'm going to throw it over to you Hello. for, for yeah. a quick little news segment before we start oh. talking about some spooky Halloween things. This is going to be so quick. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll just do a quick uh, overview of the news. If you would like to read more news, you can go over to dicebreaker.com. See, these two Chase lovely people. I squat on there yeah like, um, pl- please uh, like i'm over here shaking my news cup like alms <laughs> for the newsboy please mm, please um yes uh we've got news on there we've got features we've got other things we got some opinions they yeah, might not be worth some... anything but there's some opinions there honestly um, like, your your piece about horror games was mm. like need horror board games need to take more risk very good. Oh, thanks. Go read that. Thanks, Chase. Yeah, you can read. go and read that right now if you're feeling in a particularly spooky mood. I did that opinion piece this week. We also have other wonderful features available on the site. We have this week a feature about lyric RPGs, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which is very awesome interesting. Good very good read. Uh, we also have a feature about rolling dice and why it's important in RPGs. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, we also have uh, a list about the best horrible game that you can read right now if you want to get inspired. But the news we're going to talk about this week, uh, I've just picked out two little interesting pieces. Uh, earlier this week, it was announced that there's a new Risk Legacy game. Yeah. It, yeah. Just out of the blue. Just <laughs> like, like, it's been what? multiple ten years. years yeah 10 years 10 years Jesus. exactly ten whole years. holy moly God. what if they just release, so, release one every decade <laughs> so for those who may I'd, not, I'd, I'd appreciate that <laughs> for those who may not know risk legacy is in the risk oh yeah i can hear i can feel <laughs> matt jarvis breathing down my neck it's it's based off the risk series but it's its own thing and it's essentially considered the first legacy board game, mm-hmm. like, ever. Uh, it started off this massive trend, which we saw was followed by Pandemic Legacy, Betrayal Legacy, Machikora Legacy, all these games that kind of this followed after it. really fun period where Ron was calling themselves a legacy game when, like, half of them yeah. were just, like, they yeah, had like... a campaign in them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, cut a piece of paper at some point. <laughs> the definition of legacy game is a little loosey-goosey, but... Uh, Legacy kind of established it as like a campaign driven game where you can sort of permanently alter the actual components inside so 10 years after uh, this game was released uh, it was announced during Hasbro PulseCon which is something <laughs> I didn't know about Sorry. until I did this this news piece, Hasbro PulseCon mm, did it's, not get that presser a... yeah uh, of course not Chase um <laughs> It's an online convention where they talk about their games that are coming up. I mean, Hasbro's... come on, everyone at home has heard of it. It's the biggest yeah. con in the world. Household it is a con. Um... <laughs> hey, yo. Uh, it's, it's run by... Uh, I mean, Hasbro is basically the largest tabletop gaming company just in the world. Like, they're huge. But they're just not very good at marketing their stuff. So uh, that's where we come along. And they announced during this <laughs> online con that Risk Shadow Forces is coming, 
that name is not great. <laughs> I'm gonna say now. It's not mm -hmm. even Risk Legacy Shadow Forces. No, haven't even bothered to put Legacy in it. Risk Shadow Forces. So it doesn't really indicate that it's a Legacy game, but uh, they don't it's... care about SEO, obviously. <laughs> yeah, they know. It's set in the far future of 2050. <gasps> God. <laughs> um, where essentially the normal sort of stuff, like bad climate change, corporations are <laughs> evil, all that sort of thing. Same old, same old, really. But uh, the players take control of warring factions um, that, that fight against each other, similar to the original Risk. Uh, but in this one what's special about it is that they control specific warlords so these are characters that are kind of heads of so you choose your warlord but then you can actually change factions throughout the game depending okay. on what kind of combinations you want uh, which i thought was a bit interesting but these different warlords kind of a, approaches to combat and they also have like their own specific motivations uh it looks like they're kind of going for more of a narrative focus than the original which doesn't surprise me because a lot of legacy games kind of are doing that yeah um they actually reveal quite a lot of details you can read all of them on the news piece on the website and it's being published by avalon hill who do mm. betrayal mm. and it feels like hasbro are kind of a kind of developing avalon hill a lot more but like they're like before they were just known as these are the betrayal people but now it looks like they're making quite a few interesting looking games they're giving them these big licenses like risk hello yes mr whelan yeah no i was just it's weird that they're going returning because i i remember when pandemic legacy mm. came out yeah and the general consensus was this is great legacy games mm. are great it's mm. really good that we've got one mm. that isn't based on a kind of naff old crappy rule set now. <laughs> yeah. Because Pandemic is actually a good game, so you can build oh. on that. Whereas Risk is not a very good game. Because it's basically from just this corner. Well, you roll some dice and move some people around. Yeah, right? I mean, it's, it's pretty I'm basic. Not bothered, but... <laughs> so it's it's weird that it's weird that they're like, oh yes, it's finally time to return to Risk, the ultimate. I mean, game. <laughs> you say that, but Risk Legacy was incredibly. From what I know, Risk Legacy was pretty damn successful. Risk is a well-loved franchise. Yeah, but it was, it was the first Legacy game, right? So I, I don't yeah. know. If, I don't know if like looking back, people will be as favourable. Do you know what I mean? I'm not sure people necessarily bought it because it's a Legacy game. Because at that point, Legacy games didn't really technically kind of exist. It was just like, what's this thing? Um, mm. I think it's more like Risk was popular anyway. Um, I'd say, like, I'd say, Pandemic Legacy is the one that really kickstarted the legacy board game trend. But Risk is still popular regardless of how you look at it. Like, it's one of those games that most people have heard of, or own, or have played, uh, or free. So um, it's not surprising that they're coming back to it. I think it's surprising that they're coming back to it ten years later. Uh, <laughs> but it might be the case that there was some legal stuff, but you know behind that i don't know if um rob davio who is who was the co-designer of the, the original game there's no confirmation whether he's actually come back to design this one ah. um i don't know who the designers are they've not said <laughs> they've not made it clear love that um i don't know whether this the thing is it could be a development thing where there are multiple people responsible for it and there's not really one person 
a lot of board games are getting that now they're just made by a team or a company not necessarily made by like one or two people but um yeah so it's going to come out in autumn next year for a hefty price of 81 dollars which is which is 59 pounds which i think is a lot yeah for I a guess game it depends legacy, what's in there legacy I guess, games but... tend to be a bit more pricey don't they in general because i guess got a lot yeah, of stuff I mean, in them i can't yeah. remember how much i think we paid about that much for pandemic legacy to be honest i suppose it's like the amount of like play time you get out of it mm. um and Usually you split it as well, don't you, between a few people. Yeah, because you play with the same kind of group. Yeah. But um, there you go, New Risk Legacy. Um, the other news we had, which I think you two might enjoy a bit more. Yes. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there is a new Morkborg spin-off called Cyborg, which, which I Which, I mean, come on. <laughs> Incredible. Just so good. Fair the play. only thing is they don't have the umlau above Borg, but I suppose the umlau was on Morg. But, well, um, yeah, it's because yeah. it was metal, wasn't it, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, for those of you who may not know about Morg Borg, Morg it's a kind Borg. of um, indie RPG darling, I'd say, um, when it was released back in 2020. Uh, it just came out of nowhere, and then people were like, what is this thing? It looks incredible. And the I think from i've not played it um but i've seen the, the book layout and i think the book layout is something that people really dig because it's not it, your traditional it's it is a beautiful book like it's not beautiful in <laughs> yeah. the sense that it, you know like a pretty flower, pretty no beautiful in the sense that it's like such a fantastic like artifact of graphic design like it's, yeah yeah it's very it's incredibly heavy metal inspired like doom metal uh, it's mm. it's very like bold like it goes from like deep blacks to bold pinks and yellows like it it, it just slaps you in the face of every single page um, mm. but it's also just like it, you know it's like an OSR it's got loads of like fun writing in it it's another mm. example to be fair just like heart of like really cool interesting character classes where it's like I think one I remember is like your your like generic fighter guy just uses his teeth like he just bites yeah. people he just bites. loves biting <laughs> main attack bite yeah um, yeah so Morkborg came out heavy metal inside fantasy rpg won multiple ennies that year which yeah. is essentially the most prestigious prize a tabletop rpg can win mm-hmm. uh and along comes cyborg <laughs> which was announced this week uh and yeah it's just it is a cyberpunk inspired you know version of morkborg um but it's not just the same game it is its own thing Mm. but it uses the same setting so whereas morkborg was like will said inspired by doom metal and fantasy themed cyborg uh, seems to be taking its inspirations from industrial and underground hip-hop kind Mm -hmm. of music so from I believe the same sort of era, but very different, like vibes. Vibes, <laughs> yeah. I I will state I am not an expert on in either metal, genre, metal, <laughs> industrial yeah. or underground hip hop. <laughs> I think like if people want an easy comparison, like if no, more, I know if... I know Nine Inch Nails is no, 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 yeah, no. I, I mean, I mean, that, if, like... if like as a game, like if people want an easy comparison, if Morkborg or Cyborg were a video game, they would have been published by Devolver. You know, like yeah. it's 
it's got very much that vibe it's like counterculture-y it's very very good looking uh and it's like yeah as you say me and it's like a sort of indie darling like it's yeah it's got very very good goodwill to it so uh as you'd expect this game is set in the future loads of cyberpunk elements like anti-capitalism and transhumanism and um technology and, and stuff like that all the kind of things you expect but with this yeah counterculture approach to it uh, and the book, the entire thing will be set in the city of Sai. Uh, that's S Y. Yeah, the town of Borg. Uh, and yeah, it'll be based on the same system with some things sort of added to it to make it fit with the setting. So there'll be like rules around like hacking and you know all the sort of things you'll be expecting to do in a cyberpunk setting. Um, and it's going to uh, hit Kickstarter in next month, so the 13th. So it's not far off, and then hopefully release in next year. Sweet, looking forward to it. There you go. So just to to Uh, finish that one off, one second. Cyberpunk! All right, let's go. Let's move. Yeah, okay. We got that out of the way, everyone. <laughs> Thank God. I know you were worrying. Um, yeah, that's all the news. Um, yeah, go to dicebreaker.com for more news, please. See these lovely or people. Read all their articles. Yeah, read all of the articles, everyone. Put, put nice and tell me how long it takes. <laughs> yeah, just click on them and stay there for a little bit. Go make a cup of tea, then come back and click yeah, another article. Yeah. That's if you fine. did that, that would be great, honestly. That would be fantastic. Make sure your app is turned off. Um, yeah, please, please turn your ad blocker off. Please. Uh, ha ha. We, we, we are a, a business. <laughs> our industry is not precarious at all. No, not in the slightest. Um, Moving on to our segment yeah, for the podcast. Yeah, let's segment, everyone. Speaking of horror. But speaking of hey! horror and terrible situations, uh, we're going to be talking about some of our favourite horror-themed things. Um, we're also going to maybe suggest what our dream horror game could be, mm. if we feel like it. Is there a, a tabletop tie-in that we wish had been made in the horror genre? Um, but in general, we're just, we're just going to talk about some of our favourite horror films, favourite horror games, mm. just chat about horror things as we it's come into spooky, the spookiest of seasons, the end of time. for Halloween. Yeah. Mm. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of time. <laughs> no. But it's fine. We'll just we'll just have a wee chat. Um, yeah. Mean you are our resident uh, biggest spook fan. I think you are our uh, live. I think is a is a is a close contender, contender as well. Yeah. I think as as she's not here, as our as our mm. biggest spook aficionado. What's yeah. your favorite thing to spook out to? Spokes person for the spooks person. Spooks person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, excellent. Can't believe I didn't see that. Oh, there he is. There he is. He won't uh, stop. Okay. He won't stop. The true horror. He won't stop. Um, yeah, what do I, I mean, I will say horror is a genre that I very much enjoy in all aspects, mm-hmm. except for maybe in real life, because I wouldn't actually want any of this stuff to happen to me. <laughs> uh, but I do enjoy uh, watching and interacting with fictional scenarios. So uh, let's go. Favorite horror films. Cool. I mean, some of, some of my favorite horror, sorry, some of my favorite films of all time are horror films. Are horror films. Yeah. Um, Cause I think, I think horror is one of those things. Uh, it's a bit like the Shakespearean play Macbeth. 
Uh, when you get it <laughs> right, you get it really, really right. Uh huh. But when you get it wrong, oh yeah, boy, really, really wrong. it's bad. And yeah. I have seen some productions of Macbeth, which are people were laughing and they weren't supposed to be, like, and that's <laughs> oh, sad. Oh. Um, but I've that's horror of a different some, kind. Oh, yeah, that's I've also seen horror. some good ones. So um, yeah, horror is a genre that can be absolutely awful because it just gets milked. Because uh, it's very cheap to make a lot of the time, mm. but good horror game, good horror films are really, really good. So uh, the thing, thing is fantastic. One of my favorite films. One of, of classic. Yeah, yeah, it's one of my favorite films of all time. John Carpenter, you absolute devil, you mad lad. like <laughs> mad lad. John Carpenter, also director of Halloween, mm-hmm. <laughs> another horror film that slaps. Not as much as the thing, but the thing is very interesting because it was a remake of. A film that was an adaptation of, of a, a book. book. So, yeah. like, this is this has gone a while to get here. It shouldn't have been good. No, <laughs> Kurt Russell is the lead. Like, no offense to Kurt Russell, right? He's great, uh, but like, he's don't put disrespect on Snake no, Plissken's name. I'm not disrespecting <laughs> Kurt Russell, right? Um, I'm not disrespecting at all. In fact, I'm I'm looking disrespectfully. Um, he's not exactly like a nuanced actor, but he does this role perfectly well because it is the kind of role that he excels at, where he doesn't mm-hmm. say an awful lot, he doesn't need to, he's very much obviously action focused. But those moments where he he has to express like paranoia or tension, like if you've not watched the film, watch it. Uh, content warning gore (laughs) (laughs) like the practical effects in this film the practical effects are just astonishingly good like the the practical effects are the thing that sold you know producers initially on this film like at first they were like oh i don't know but then john carpenter's look what this this person can do and they were like oh (laughs) um yeah that they are just I don't go wrong. I think CGI has its place, but I feel like this film, if anything, is like a. This is what practical effects can achieve, mm. and mm. like some of the scenes in this film, not just the gore and the blood, because it is fantastic and like very graphic and incredible, like just ugh. Um, the the scenes where they're just a group of people being like, we can't trust anyone. Mm. This is a horrible situation. <laughs> uh, is just incredible. So the thing, excellent. Obviously, shout out to Alien. I don't think I need to say much more about this film. Mm-hmm. Ridley Scott, another mad lad. Um, again, too mad. <laughs> yeah, n- now he's gone down the, the hole a bit, but um, he's made two of my favorite films of all time. Yeah, Alien and Blade Runner, like incredible. Now he's making a film where Adam Driver and is it Matt Damon are just fighting about. Uh, you know, stuff happening in the Middle Ages. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I just know it's just Matt Damon with a mullet. Medieval yeah, mullet, Matt Damon. Yeah, it looked bad. It looked bad. But his hair is awful in that. Um, but yeah, no. Um, yeah, Alien's great. Uh, I also enjoy Aliens, but I feel like Alien is the superior film as someone who, who loves horror. Uh, other f- horror films I love, uh, Hereditary, anything that Ari Aster's done. Hereditary is uh, incredible. Slaps. No, Hereditary is one of the best films ever made until the last two minutes. Do not watch the last no, two I minutes. No, I disagree. Please don't. Disagree. No, why? 
I don't know. I genuinely, I, I think it was like the it last was, two minutes. The are whole just film not was necessary. about. It's, it's the whole like satanic panic was the vibe of the film throughout. I think. Yeah, but, yeah, but we got that. We don't need it explained to us by a woman in dialogue for the last like minute. We don't need that. Don't you remember this? Woman in dialogue. This is what I love about horror films. Do you not remember this? No, bit? I don't remember. I, the woman. I thought right. you meant the general ending. <laughs> no, no, the ending's great, mm. but no, for those, I won't spoil it for you. Although Wheels has already kind of spoiled it. Um, the last, yeah, not really. The last, but okay, yeah, yeah the, the last like minute of that film, there is dialogue, there's just a voiceover on it, sort of, where hmm. this woman is basically explaining the entire plot of the film. Oh, I don't remember for that. almost no <laughs> in, in film reason, really, at all. It's funny that you uh, mention that actually because the original cut of Blade Runner has Harrison Ford yeah. doing the least oh. acted voiceovers explaining so the plot tired. as it goes on bored he's so tired seems of like it's a common don't, problem in the films we love don't ever watch that just don't watch it's it never, unless you just ever want that. to unless you want to laugh or ruin a great film but no yeah the last minute of, of hereditary up to that point it's one of the best films i've ever seen uh ari aster shoot out the part i also have a fondness for Candyman. i feel like that feels pretty yeah good. well that's getting a, the original getting a, um, adaption as well isn't it I've heard mixed That's things out. about that one. Yeah, I've heard out. mixed things about it. Yeah, it was yes. it was out a while ago. I think. Oh right. Um, yeah, I think um, wasn't Jordan Peele involved in it? He's the like he... producer or something. Producer. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah not yeah. not director, but I heard mixed things about it. But the original ha- very much has a slasher vibe, and it but it's got like themes of. Racism. This is the thing, isn't it? Racism. I'd like. Sorry. Uh, I think I I have a lisp sometimes. No, yeah, no, me too. I I think I think the best horror films are the ones that, like, for the majority of human storytelling, horror has been used as a thing to talk about social issues (laughs) and things that people aren't supposed to be talking about, etc., etc. And yeah, I think. We have lost that a little bit in modern horror, and it's good to see it come back a bit. I yeah, I feel like there was a period where horror was very much like, just like a lot of genre films, where they, studios just weren't making them. Yeah. Or if they did make them, they were rubbish. It's kind of the state that um, we're currently in with cyberpunk material. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I feel like over the maybe the last five years or so, we have seen a resurgence in like you know horror films that are being made that aren't just the what is it the conjuring 12 oh god yeah here, come, here the comes nun. <laughs> here comes the nun yeah like <laughs> like you've got you will have your because they're so cheap to make you will have your horror series that are just milked to 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 the till they're just a husk of of just a miserable husk of patheticness but then you've got these filmmakers who are coming out and saying hey i can make a horror film that is genuinely really good and people will watch it Mm. because horror is kind of big at the moment uh and so we can both make your delicious money and i can actually make a horror film that is good Mm. like i will even say and this is a controversial people might not like it for me you know might not like me for it. What is wrong with me today? I think I'm just too excited. Um, 
I really liked Mother. And I know a lot of people didn't like that film. And I completely understand why. Number one, Darren Aronofsky is an idiot. He's a Number moron. two, I will give you that. He is a moron. He is a complete moron. Gary, um, come on the podcast. He never he never deserved to be with Jennifer Lawrence. I don't know how that happened. But oh, Jennifer Lawrence is also pretty terrible, to be honest. But carry on. They can have each other. Um, I know why people don't like that film. Uh, Darren's explanation of it is stupid. Ignore him. What I love about However... it is that my favorite thing about it is for anyone who doesn't know, and like it will be beaten into you with a sledgehammer if yeah, you ever um, watch anything spoiler, about it. Spoiler alerts for Mother. If you want to watch Mother, <laughs> right? I'll go first. Poor Will's goes because I will not spoil it. Okay. Right. I will explain why I think Mother is good, despite the thing. Everything about it. <laughs> <laughs> Just let. <laughs> it it encompasses the kind of nightmares that i genuinely had like watching this film was an incredibly stressful experience because this is just a film to me ignoring the rubbish uh, about someone who whose house is being invaded uh they're seeing exactly what's what's happening and everyone else is ignoring them like I have had dreams where someone is doing something awful, like someone has broken my house or is threatening me or something, and everyone else is just acting like this is normal and this is fine. I'm the only one who's noticing this, and that film I think nails that feeling so well. That is why I like the film, Mr. Whelan. Go spoilers. Yeah, no, no, it's not a huge spoiler. It's just my my favorite thing surrounding Mother is because he is such an idiot. Uh, whenever you have like the director interviews, you know, you know that interview with uh, David Lynch where where he's talking about how A Razorhead is one of his most spiritual. Which films. one? They're all good. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> you would have found that if I finished the sentence. But you know, you know that that interview where he's talking mm-hmm. about how A Razorhead is one of his most spiritual films, and then the interviewer says, "Elaborate on that," and he says, "No." Like, that is the polar opposite, opposite of Aaron who's just like, yeah. here are all the four themes that I tried to get in this film. Yeah, yeah. There essentially, you go. I'm going to go now. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, Darren Aronofsky had a very specific idea for what Mother is. And it's a stupid biblical... Mother like, nature thing. Yeah. Uh, what, when I... So luckily, I didn't find that out before I watched it. So when I watched it, I was like, oh, this is just a, a horrible story about this poor woman who's being, like, terrorized by these people and her own husband. And then when I found out what Darren's big idea was, <laughs> I was like, well, that's really stupid. Yeah. I see it now. But I like the idea. I'm so glad I had that experience of watching it and not having heard any of the, the, the ideas behind because like Do the you film really itself like it you watched it, it, it like it that it felt like it was almost made about your dreams kind of thing is that, is that i liked it? it because i feel like it tapped into a horror experience a lot of other films don't do which is like this is a very surreal experience like you've got to get on board with that and uh, this is a genuine fear that i have felt like dreams are are a surreal kind of nightmare that I feel like a lot of films don't manage to capture, but I feel like that film did, regardless of Aronofsky's rubbish. So there you go. Other horror stuff, I'll go very quickly. 
this is the problem. I love this subject so much. Yeah, right, no, I, um, I let you go first because I knew you were going to take up the majority. Sorry, this is, this is your this is your play park. <laughs> yeah. Uh, favorite um, horror video games. I mean, uh, I I like learning about horror video games. I don't necessarily actually like playing them because they are a very very stressful experience for me. Do you know what? I, Hold mm. on. Hello. What, yeah. What if you do films? And then one of us does video games, and then okay, the other yeah, person sure. does tabletop. Uh, I'll just do a shout out to Dread. That's all I want to do. Shout, <laughs> shout out to great. Dread, the the tabletop role playing game. Chase, do you, you do you want to take horror tabletop, and I'll take horror video games? Yeah, sure. Okay, horror video games. A big shout out to Darkwood. If you've not played Darkwood, uh, it is it's a bit of an indie one, um, but Darkwood is genuinely like. That game messes me up. Like there, there aren't many horror games that I'm like, yeah, all right, fair enough. Because I feel like they really do lose their tension Ooh, after about yes. a couple of okay. hours. Darkwood is. It doesn't look like it should be scary. It is a top-down, like almost black and white in its bleakness, colored, colorless, and desaturatedness uh, art style. But it is like a sort of survival game where you're in this weird kind of eastern european -y, like uh folklore area like you're in the middle of a, of a dark wood uh and the wood is its own character like it's its own weird entity i think i've heard of this yeah, yeah. so you you spend your days going out and getting supplies because you need like you need fuel for the generator and you need like wood to barricade the windows and doors and stuff uh and you go out and you find clues as to how to progress into the next area um, the trailer is literally just like 10 minutes of the game uh, where you go into this barn and there's like this, it's called The Wedding, quote unquote. And there are like these like dancing spectres and stuff. And it's like heart pounding, especially when what the thing that happens at the end. Um, but you basically spend your days going through these weird places and getting a little bit spooked. But nothing terrible usually happens. Like there's a few enemies, but nothing awful. Usually you're just fighting like little dogs and things like that. And then you go back to your house because the sun is setting. And you have you don't ever sleep in this game. You just have to wait the whole night until the sun rises. And honestly, it is one of the most horrible experiences, but in a good way that you can have. Because you will just spend the whole thing just like you know, you've only got a few lamps that work and every now and again they'll flicker and you're just like, you've got this kind of cone of vision. So anything that you're not looking at is kind of greyed out uh, and isn't an accurate representation of what's actually happening. So like things that you can only experience with like sound or whatever happening behind you, you see like smudges and like oh, the shadows horrible. will start to sort of make <laughs> no. weird things. And like, you'll just be sat there and it will be like five minutes of nothing happening apart from small creaking noises and stuff. And then like, you'll just hear on the door and you're just like, no, 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 no. And honestly, like most nights nothing happens, but it just, you just spend the entire uh, experience just like crawling into yourself just hoping that nothing bad happens bearing in mind that you know you've got like cobbled together defenses you've got like a shotgun with about two shells in it you're just hoping for the best that you can do something like there's i've i've never played a horror game that is very good at stopping the player from just feeling like they've gotten over it do you know what i mean like there's 
mm. whenever I play games, there's always a point, especially with things like, you know, like Alien Isolation, where it was just like, okay, I've got a flamethrower now, so mm. I'm, I'm not yeah. scared anymore. Like, there are a lot of elements where, where it's like, you, you get to a certain point in the game, and you're just like, cool. Uh, this isn't really scary anymore. I don't like Darkwood. I genuinely, I got to the third and final area, still haven't finished it because I just can't get through it. It is <laughs> nerve wracking. It is just like dread filling. And you have like every now and again, you'll have these dreams as well. And it, oh god, oh, <sighs> just play okay. Darkwood. <laughs> That's part of what made the, like the initial Amnesia game when it came out so yeah. interesting because there is no power curve. There's yeah. no you don't get a weapon. Your only your only verbs are continue to walk forward and hide in cabinet. Yeah. Is mm. essentially what you have. And I I, I think... haven't played any of the sequels. But that was one of the things that like kept it mostly scary from like start to finish is mm. that you never have another answer for the thing that hunts you. Mm. There's... The modern scene got involved, and yeah. that was the end of that. <laughs> there's, there's an interesting thing with Amnesia, where I think Amnesia itself was a really good game. Machine for Pigs as well, the sequel is really good. Um, yes. I don't think it's as effective as a horror game, but the actual narrative experience, like the story it tells, is really flipping good. Like, it's basically like, um, and I don't think this is really a spoiler, like the, the premise is that a character finds out what's going to happen in the turn of the century in the 1800s like he sees all the world wars and stuff like that and the suffering is so much for him to bear that he starts to enact something that will just stop it from happening and you kind of you spend the game finding out you know what they've been doing kind of thing but again it's amnesia right so it's like you wake up in the middle of it like what the hell um but yeah there's i i think it did set off like a kind of crappy trend of like Similarish, similarish games. Games where that didn't really understand what made what it tick. Was yeah, good. Like they were just like, oh, it's well, you're just vulnerable, and that's what yeah, makes and the, I, I the game good. After a while, when it when you've seen enough death screens in a in a horror game, you're like, okay, well, I'm invincible, right? So it's yeah. like I'm not really that scared. Like apart from the jump scare of being like, ah, the thing grabbed you. It's just like, all right, it's just turned yeah. into a crap stealth game. <laughs> and I remember yeah. playing. I think it was Observer. Um, which is I've heard the... good things about that one. Observer has some really cool stuff in it, but there is a part where it's like there's a big monster and he's chasing you, and it's like, okay, like you know, yeah. like I've done this a million times now because like Amnesia came out a decade ago. Like I already know the, this loop, and the like it's you don't have good stealth mechanics, so it's not enjoyable. So you just sort of like, uh, okay, come on then. So I, I think we do hmm. need to move away from that a little bit. But um... yeah, there there are some. I feel like there are some games that that built on that foundation quite well like mm. like soma is the the soma like if you've not played soma Soma's great. it's mm. really good but like the horror of that game isn't necessarily like oh the, the spooky monsters and stuff like there it's are the some themes. grotesque things it's the idea yeah. that it, it the ideas that it explores are we'll genuinely you night, very yeah. like oh this is horrible yeah. like the things that the characters have to do so i feel like that is a really good example of a yeah. game. But that... again, again, I think, you know, Soma is, is essentially a spiritual successor to Amnesia. Mm. And I like I couldn't play it until I installed a mod that turned all the hostile enemies off. So I was yeah, just like, I just is, want to experience the story the because way of yeah, I, I, I don't game, think the really. gameplay is very good. Like No, <laughs> the gameplay isn't great, but yeah. like the, the story and the atmosphere is very but, good. But um, to, to circle it all back, that is why I think Darkwood is so good, because like 
that is a game in which you keep getting more powerful and yet you you never feel in control it's one of the like the stakes keep being raised with you to a point where like you are just so stressed and so scared at all times like it it is the most like um cohesive horror experience i think i've ever Mm. had in video games um Mm. there are a lot of fantastic horror video games of course there are a lot of crap ones um but yeah let's move on to tabletop i just i just want to do a quick shout out to a game called laura laura bow uh not laura bow frambo frambo the the point and click frambo the point and click game if you've not played that it's so good i've watched an ex player um (laughs) it's it's a game that is horror themed but it it deals with things like mental ha- uh health and and uh, like childhood fears and things like that and the art style is incredible please play frambo it's just such a use a walkthrough if you hate those kind yeah. of adventure games where the puzzles are really sort of like innocuous also play a game called unavowed sorry that's another adventure horror board game not board game video game what's wrong with me unavowed is also very good a quick quick shout out to orangifal who is just like yeah every single thing we mentioned she's like yes that one yes that one uh yeah we'll whip this up into a tabletop final with uh chase carter okay so piggybacking i will say just to preface all of this i am a horror mm, uh uh sort of spectator i always want to get deeper into horror i know a lot of people i think i might enjoy listening to people discuss horror more than i enjoy watching it Mm. not that like i don't enjoy it but like listening to smart people kind of break down why it is scary for them always really interests me i'm also just a boring nerd in that way where i love (laughs) sort of like high-minded discussions of of media um so it's interesting we we did video games first because I believe in tabletop RPGs they have a similar problem to video games in that it is hard to make a truly scary experience because mm-hmm. you are you have narrative authorial agency right yeah. in in most games you are playing a game you are sort of crafting it as you go along there are some you know you have your classics like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk much about like Call of Cthulhu or Trail of Cthulhu or Cult or anything like that because those sort of do a more of the traditional experience where the game master is given tools to create a spooky or scary game i'm more interested in and surprise surprise more of the indie games that like try to take expectations and twist them in a spooky way the one that immediately comes to mind is like sleep away from j dragon yeah. which uh, takes class a classic setup it's a summer camp for 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 young children but there is this sort of creeping dread underneath. And as you play through the game, that dread becomes less creeping and more explicit as you go through. Um, so it that one, I think, succeeds because it puts you in the mindset and it gives you enough time in the game to sort of like enter the mindset, enter the sort of like theater, the, the imagination space of a young person with all of those fears and anxieties that go along with being someone on the cusp of teenagerhood, that change in their life, friendships, weird emotions, raging hormones, and then also a giant monster called the lindworm that might just eat you out of existence (laughs) um so it does a really nice thing of like giving the play and i think really successful tabletop horror games give the players the tools to sort of scare themselves which Mm. is very difficult that's super difficult to do because one you have to sort of expect what the players are going to do and also sort of account for all things and just like most tabletop rpgs it might not be successful in the first try. It might not be successful in the third try, but I believe if you have the right group and you go into it wanting to, to kind of experience horror in a real sort of earnest way, 
the most games like Sleepaway and also more recently Brindlewood Bay mm. uh, do this sort of thing. Um, I also really like these games like Brindlewood Bay, Sleepaway. Um, I had another one that I was going to mention. It'll probably come to me in a second. That take, and I believe I like horror that does this too. That takes a normal setting, something that should be commonplace, and then puts mm. a horror shines a horror light on it so that you look at it in this new frightening way. It's why the uh, you know like the home invasion movies yeah. are so popular. Yeah. It takes a safe space it unsafe again mm. uh what do you do if the if your sanctuary is invaded is now this like this this room of terrors and frights and like possible death and i believe the best tabletop rpgs do that as well brenda wood bay is all about like this little cozy like like um seaside town and you're a bunch of grandmas and all of a sudden there is a cosmic horror threat that you a grandma with no sort of like call of cthulhu-esque abilities have to try to solve you know, that's wonderful. Like it's it's cute and it's charming, but it also does make you uh, come face to face with how do you deal with horror if you are disempowered in the sort of way that amnesia and games like that try to do, take away all the conventional tools, the power creep, the sort of mm. like blasted in the face sort of solutions to horror. And like, how do you face it then? Um, we wrote, uh, Matt, Matt Darvis wrote uh, a couple weeks ago about a bundle. There's a tabletop RPG Halloween Spectacular Bundle that has a few games on here that I think do a really good job uh, of doing that. Like The Force That Knows Your Name by Monkey Paul's Games um, and a few others. But then Lichcraft. I did, that's the other one I wanted to mention. Lichcraft by Laurie O'Connell is a really great game because it, and I think this is another reason, another part where tabletop RPGs can really do horror well where it allows you to experience the horror of a life that you may not live. And Lichcraft is a bit satirical, but it's all about the horror of the trans experience in a sort of like, you know, like magical sort of like uh, framework. Uh, and, you know, it's not something that I can speak to uh, with any sort of agency, but reading through and playing the game, it does a really good job of conveying the sort of like mundane horror of living as a person, especially in 2021, if you're in the UK or the US, as mm. a trans person. Uh, but gives it gives enough narrative tools and enough sort of genre framework for people to engage in it in a way that feels genuine and also earnest and like uh, you're going to come across it having learned something, which which maybe it's about yourself, maybe it's about the world, maybe it's just about earning some sympathy with other people. But I really enjoyed it for that. So I guess to wrap it all up, like my favorite tabletop RPGs are the ones that like take commonplace themes, the things that you're familiar with, and makes it spooky uh just by like twisting the lights in the room a little bit casting mm. new shadows just sort of like throw your expectations for a loop can i do a few final shout outs just a few. <laughs> i knew it was just, coming just a few do it just Please. a crumb <laughs> just a little crumb uh look when matt and chase are talking about anime for about 30 minutes <laughs> like, i have to sit here and just deal with it um it's my time uh Watch Hush. That's on Netflix. It's really good. Watch the Babadook. Uh, watch the Babadook. Queer Icon. Um, the Babadook. <laughs> Queer Icon. The Babadook. The Babadook. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hush is a home invasion film about a woman who is deaf. Uh, so it's really intense. Uh, watch the, the Descent, which is an incredible horror film. Oh my god! As Make above, sure you so watch. Below. It's very good as well. Make sure you watch the right version of the Descent, not. The, there is a very specific version with a really bad ending. You need to watch the right ending. Um, yeah. Can, also, can I say, Alex, real quick? Yeah. 
guy. I really, I really like the descent because it is one of the few horror films where everyone does the right thing. Yeah, but the situation roughly. is so crap anyway. I mean, roughly, like they're they're all experts, right? They're doing what they think should be okay and safe, but beyond their control, things go to crap, and they just have to deal with it from there. Which I think is yeah. that's nice. Sometimes there are situations that are so bad that regardless of who is in them, it's going to go wrong. Yep. Um, yeah, uh, Bluebeard's Bride is an incredible yes. horror tabletop RPG. It's on your list. It's on my list. It's on the list. The horror the horror RPG, I keep saying horror ball game, horror RPG list. Uh, also Dread. I cannot express this enough. You can get Dread for free mm. online. All you need are the tumble tower. It's free real estate. It's free real estate. These Please keys are for your house. I'm not carrying them around all day. <laughs> and uh, and of I'm, course, I'm done. <laughs> and of course, to finish it all off, for the love of God, play 10 Candles. I genuinely yeah. think it has never been matched when it comes to horror RPGs. Because the way in which it uses physical atmospheres... And the way in which it not only disempowers the players, but physically does it over the course of the game, I think is genuinely brilliant mm. without having to have four billion rules that you need to learn. Like, yeah. it's brilliant. It's fantastic. It's my favorite, one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, right. It is 20 to 4. I think we will answer one question. I'll um, be honest with you, we don't have that many questions. This is why I was quite happy to sort of meander <laughs> for as long as i'd like but um all right all right screw I... it then well yeah we've got three here that i think we can we can do pretty quick alex yeah. mean would you like to read this question from wayhand then yeah sure have you ever played have you ever had players in an rpg suddenly set themselves their own challenges for example one of my players said they found a line in a contract they signed meaning they had to do something that's very interesting yeah uh, I th I think it's yeah no I I think there needs to be more of it to be honest I I think there's a lot of games where, um you know if a player has their own personal goals then it can feel like there are odds with what's going on because it's like how am I gonna fit this into the big quest we're already doing or whatever I think actually to be honest one thing that Heart does which is quite cool is um at the start of every session you pick one of your characters because you pick a class but you also pick like a sort of uh, a goal or something so you have like adventurer or like heart lust or whatever and they each have their own like sort of check boxes of things that your character's trying to do and you pick two of them at the start of the session and then you all just announce them and it's like here is the thing i want to do this session so everyone knows like okay cool this is the goal that we're trying to tell as a story which i think is really cool and i yeah like i, I think blades does it quite cool as well where it's just like you know the gm doesn't decide on an adventure the players decide what they want to do next like mm. I, I think yeah, there needs to be more of that in, in tabletop games. Um, but I will throw it to you two as well. Um, I have a situ situation. I'm gonna I'm gonna put my my brother on blast. A few years ago, <laughs> we were playing D D. Yeah, he was playing like a blade master or samurai, some class like that. And for whatever reason, when he started, he was just like, "If I ever accidentally kill something that I didn't want to, I'm going to try to take my own life." And it just caused a bunch of stress for the party. It was maybe not the best decision. It 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 did lead to some interesting role play. But he really, for whatever reason, just very much doubled and then tripled down on like, I am just like the most self-sacrificing dude with a sword ever and like found a reason to just like try to be his own tragic hero at every turn. And, you know, God bless him, but it made everybody mad. 
Let Nobody me go. Like that. I like that we got the two the two ends of the spectrum there. Yeah. Player empowerment and player piss off of them. Yeah. Very yeah. I mean I've been involved in a lot of chaotic oh, yeah. RPG playthroughs. Naturally, as part of Dicebreaker, it does chaos tends to be the way things mm-hmm. can turn sometimes. Which can be which can be great. Um I personally prefer the kind of um what do you want to call them? Why can't I remember anything? The kind of detours that are like driven by a motivation or by like a character's personality or by their like, I will, my character will do this, not necessarily because it's logical, but because this is what they would do. Like, I feel like I would rather roleplay than service metagaming. I'm not a huge fan of metagaming. Um, although I feel like people can take it too far <laughs> and just, I feel like some people just do it just to annoy other people or just mm. to be like, I'm doing this and you can't stop me. And if you try and stop me, then like, I'm going to really mess with your whole shtick. I feel like that's not very nice with role-playing games because mm. it should be a collaborative experience in terms of Cut we all want to have, <laughs> yeah, we all want to tell a good story. We don't want to stop. Stop like playing up for attention. Essentially, feels like a lot. Yeah. Um, Have a session zero. You know, mm. talk about player expectations before you get started. Yeah, exactly. Like, definitely have your character do things because they're driven by a thing in their backstory. This is something, or a aspect of their personality. Like, this is something. As long as their personality is not just complete garbage that you've made up just to annoy people. <laughs> um, like definitely do that that because that is worth time because ultimately a role-playing campaign shouldn't just be like we're doing this epic adventure and that is it it should also be like these characters are developing and changing as people there are arcs to this um yeah i mean i like to do that when i'm developing relationships with other characters in the story like i like to be like oh yeah we're gonna talk about this like we're gonna go off to this pub because you wanted to do this thing or like um yeah there's definitely room for it there you go shall we uh move on to the next question yeah let let your players be the main character for a bit you know like Mm -hmm. let them have their own thing and then you know it's not going to stop everything else going on and i think if you're one of the other players rather than thinking oh we have to wait for 20 minutes because this person's doing their thing listen just Either listen or just like help them out, you know, like just like help them tell that story, do interesting things that help play into it, you know. Um, but our second question, Chase, you've got the doc open. Would you like to read this one for from the Four Toasty? Yeah. <clears throat> Any of you played Moncala? Nope. That's the whole no, thing. No, nope. played Moncala. I've not. Nope. I have. I, that, tell us, bro. Are you Chase? kidding? That was that was the game to play in like uh, early grade school, like third, fourth, yeah. fifth grade. Uh, so is this one where you have the not... fist of things and you drop them as you go? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you have the board. It's sort of like this long rectangular board. It opens up and it's got like, uh, I can't remember how many, but it's got like six or seven like little divots on each side and then a big divot pool uh, on each edge. And there's like, um, there's like these little stones. You can use rocks. We use these like little glass beads that were mm-hmm. like flattened on one side. And basically what you do is you start from a certain pool and you pick up all of the all of the gems or stones that are in that pool. And then you start from the right and you drop one in each each little divot and you go around the board until you run out. 
And then the next player takes their turn and they get to choose which divot they want to start and they pick them up. The goal is to get all of, if I can remember correctly, is to get all of your stones from like from one side to the other. You want to get all of them. The goal is either to get rid of all your stones or to amass all the stones. And so there's this like guessing game of like how they distribute as you go around the board. Um, it's very simple concept. It's like one of those games that I feel like one of those classic, like classic board games that once you kind of know the math that's behind it, you can kind of game it. But for little kids who are just sort of playing it, it, it can easily take up an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we had like, we had Moncala boards in our public school library. And as soon as there was like a free period, everybody would be rushing to the library, not to read books, but to grab those Moncala boards really? and sit in the corner that's and, really and pick up stones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a big deal. I don't know if like for whatever reason we had them, but it was just super popular at our school. Yeah, I, I honestly, I love Mancala. It's super wow. simple. You don't, you can teach the rules in five minutes. A, a five-year-old can learn how to play it and can go nuts. Yeah. Okay. All right. Our final question then is from Kay Collier, who asks, you have to play a game against death to save your life. What game do you choose? Uh, do you know what? I'm not even going to ask for an explanation. I just want you all to name the game, and then we're going to we're going to call it that. <laughs> Me and very good at anything. Um, <laughs> well, tough luck. I guess. I'm not. I'm not good at games, so I'm basically dead. Um, uh, Monica's because I want to see what death looks like, like pretending to be a Roomba or something. <laughs> That's very good. Yeah, That's I like the choice. idea that it's just like, look, I'm not going to win. So, <laughs> yeah, I just want to. This la- my last experience on Earth. Wei Han Lim says, Happy Salmon. Happy Salmon. Oh my God. I wouldn't trust myself to win Happy Salmon. Um, but again, I would love to see Death play Happy yeah. Salmon. I would love I, to. I, would I, love think, to ha- I think slapping against that bony arm would, uh, would kind of ruin the Happy Salmon itself, to be honest. So, I feel like Death should then be disqualified for not doing a satisfying enough happy salmon, and I win. Oh, <laughs> you win on, the, on those rounds. Okay, <laughs> what about... Come on. What are I watching? think... I'm very good at Quest, and I do think that if I had to, I could I could probably play against Death for my life. Although he has got those bony fingers, so I'm sure he could get a lot mm. of power in his shots. Uh, but that is my go-to. Chase, have you... But no have eyeballs! You no eyeballs as well, yeah. So How can he aim? Yeah, yeah. can't poke him in the eye. <laughs> uh, mine would be cornhole or horseshoes, one of the two. What's cornhole again? Uh, it's the one with bean bags where you have the two boards on either side, and you try to like toss it into the hole. Right. Okay. <laughs> a, region, a, re, a, a southern U.S. regional classic. Yeah. It's called cool. cornhole. So. <laughs> yeah. Listen, get get me a couple. Give me a couple of drinks in on like a summer evening and death is going to eat dirt all day long. In our um, <laughs> a couple of drinks in, just a couple of bean bags in hand. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. In the Dice Breaker Lounge, Chase is, yeah. Chase is winning it all. But yeah, there it is. Yeah, Orange Full asks, when will the Dice Breaker store be reopened? I want to ask for DB merch for Christmas. Uh, Do you know is this, it, the answer to this question? Is it is not it open? Uh, yeah, I <laughs> Feel like... uh, do you have the right link, Orange Floor? Because we did change where we I, we did change where it's um. Yeah, I'm gonna click on a video. Where our merch and click is. On the have link. you put the right link in, Mr. Wheeler, for the merch? Dicebreaker merch. Here we go. Store.repop.com. Yeah, coming soon. Oh man. Well. Oh no. Uh I'm yeah, sorry. we don't really we don't really uh 
manage the merch we just kind of get yeah. told what's going on and we can we can find so. out for you and we'll let you know yeah we'll do our best but uh if you want merch we want we want you to get yeah, it yeah we want so. you to be able to buy it i'm afraid i don't know much about that but um i will endeavor to find out for you uh but regardless thank you very much everyone for watching the icebreaker podcast it was a long one but i mean we were talking about horror and we all love horror um this has been the live recording here of the Dice Breaker Podcast. It happens every Friday at 2 p.m. BST on youtube.com forward slash dicebreaker. If you haven't already, please do hit the subscribe button, click the bell icon to get notified whenever we put a new video live. And you can also just give this video a like as well because it helps with the old algorithm. Maybe leave a comment after after we're done. Mm. Uh, you can find more of Chase and me on over to the channel. Sorry for making the join button there. Thank you very much for watching. We'll see you soon. Sorry, I don't know what's going on with the merch, but we'll find it out for the next one, hopefully. Uh, have a very, very lovely day. Big thank you to both of our, of our uh, guests for joining us as well. And we'll see you on the next one. Goodbye! Bye!